are continuing our series. We are now officially three-fourths of the way through Philippians. We're now going from chapter 3 to chapter 4 through this series called Transcend, which is learning from Paul's writings to this group of people he loves dearly of how you live your life beyond and above the circumstances that tend to overwhelm us. And so this morning, um, as we look in this passage, we're only going to look at three verses, but, but it's an interesting three verses because if, if you've been through this series, you've read through the book of Philippians, when Paul's referring to this group of people, the church at Philippi, everything up until this point and pretty much everything beyond this point has all been positive encouragement uh, and how he's doing and how they're doing. And then he kind of takes a little moment to kind of go negative and deal with a specific issue in the church, which if you read some of the other, Paul, other Paul's writings, like First and Second Corinthians, that's almost all of what he's dealing with is bad behavior in the church. But he takes a little time out today to, take some, to, to focus in on a specific disagreement between two people. Now, hear me on this. The, the way that these messages kind of line out is that they don't, I don't pick what Sundays the messages fall. We just kind of take the next passage, okay? This dispute happens to be between two women. Just coincidence that it's on Mother's Day, okay? Please, we did not plan this and thought, oh, yeah, just scream between you two women. That's a perfect Mother's Day message, okay? It's just the next passage that comes. But from what Paul talks about, there's some really important things that he highlights about the, the, the thing that we have to come to grips with in our life is that God's desire is that we live in unity in our relationships, in life and in the church. And that the opposite of that, disunity and offense and disagreement, can not only affect our lives, but actually they can des destroy the church and they can uh, impact people around us. See, sometimes when we're in a disagreement or we're or offended by somebody, we think it's, it's just between us and them. And the reality is, is that I've never seen an ongoing offense or difficulty or disagreement between two people that just stayed between two people. Because it, it expands, it, it affects other people. Why? Because the tension in your relationship with that other person now influences the relationships of other people. Now, I saw this firsthand growing up. Uh, kind of a, a, a confession again. So uh, my sister and I, who is closest in age, I'm the youngest of four, had three older sisters, which means I had four moms growing up. But the one who's closest to me in age, until we, when we came, became an adults, our relationship got wonderful. We love each other. But when we were kids, we were enemies, and we fought all the time. And there were multiple occasions where the intensity of our disagreements and our arguments got to the point where literally my mom would just throw her hands up in the air. Like, I don't know what to do with the two of you. In fact, there are some times when she would reach the brink emotionally, and she would start crying. She would just start sobbing, and she's like, I don't know what to do with you guys. You guys are overwhelming me. And, you know, the worst word my mom has ever said growing up was, was doggone it. That was like, that was a swear word for my mom. And when she got there, you're like, oh, we're in trouble. And then even those moments of desperation, she'd throw out the wait till your father gets home. And that still wouldn't even work. We'd still keep fighting. Because our disagreement wasn't just between the two of us. It affected anybody who was around us. And that's why Paul actually pinpoints two individuals because he knows that the impact of their disagreement will go far beyond their own relationship and will cause disunity in the church, which is destructive to God's purpose, not only in the church, but in the world. So with that understanding this morning, <clears throat> we're going to talk about this concept of being together for a bigger purpose, together for the gospel. But there are six things that Paul highlights that we want to go over today. But if you have your Bible, let me just read these three verses, and then we'll talk particularly about verses 2 and 3. But Paul goes on the first uh, verse of chapter 4 and says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then he goes to verse 2. 
I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, before we actually look at what Paul says here, I just want you to just think about this for a moment. Can you imagine what it's like to be Yodia and Syntyche? The only bad part of the book of Philippians and the only people called out negatively at the church of Philippi are these two women, and they are recorded in Scripture for eternity. I don't think anybody wants like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to name my daughter Syntyche, right? <laughs> I haven't heard that name. Why? Because you don't want to be known for that. But think about this. This is what's significant about what Paul's saying. We'll talk about it in a moment. He's calling out two individuals by name because this is a big deal, which is the first thing of, of what we're going to learn about dealing with division, is that you and I have to understand division is a big deal. It's a big thing. It's not some insignificant thing that you and I can just brush off and just kind of let it lie. It's a huge deal when we live in offense with other people, we live in disagreement, or we're separated in our relationships. So Paul says in verse 2, this is the first thing he's realizing this is a big deal, he uses the word entreat twice right before each of their names, and that is intentional to provide emphasis to both of these women. You need to listen to what I'm going to say because it's important. It's significant. See, because division, whether you know it or not, division is like it is. It is a cancer. And see, if cancer goes unchecked, what does cancer do? Cancer grows. Cancer spreads. Cancer becomes more destructive. Same with division in our relationships. If it's undealt with, it will never just sit dormant. It will grow. It will expand. It will cause more destruction. Because really, division is like playing with fire. You think you can control it, but you can't. And the only way that you can control it or deal with it is if you extinguish it. But if you play with it, it will burn you every single time because it's a big deal. And it's bigger than your ability to manage it. It has to be resolved. It has to be reconciled. So another confession. Last week, if you're here, I talked about dirt clods. And I was throwing dirt clods at cars, which, by the way, I have never on any other topic ever had more people confess to me in between services and after last that they threw dirt clods, too. So, dirt clouds is one issue. Another issue in my life, anybody, when you want to admit when you were a child, you attempted to play with fire? Yeah, all the pyros are in here, right? <laughs> so, when I was six years old, before we had moved to the valley, we were living in Corona, and, and our house was set up on a street that we had uh, space between our property and then the houses that faced the opposing street on the other side. Uh, there was like, well, today we call it a green belt. But when you live in Corona, it's a brown belt because there is no green whatsoever. It's just really dead grass and just open space between backyards. And so with fences on either side. And so me and my, my sisters and a lot of our friends, we would just hang out in the brown belt because it's kind of cool. You get out and you're away from your house. And, and so one day, I, I don't know what came to my mind to do this, but I thought I, I, st I stole a match out of her house. Didn't let my mom see it. And, uh, and so we had a our cinder block wall that was kind of protected our backyard from the brown space. So I went to the brown space and I thought, well, I wonder if I could start this match off the wall. And of course, first try, and like flame. And I just looked at it for a moment as it's burning down towards my family. I'm like, and then I'm looking down, I'm like, look at this brown grass. I wonder how well it will burn. So I dropped it. And sure enough, guess what? Brown grass burns really well. And it starts burning, and I'm like, wow. And then I start looking this way and looking this way, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of brown grass. And then it hit me. This is all going to burn. 
So I ran into our backyard, and we had this outdoor sink, and I got the biggest bucket I could find, and I filled up the bucket, and I ran back, and I threw it on the fire. And then I, I don't know how many times I'm running back, frantically, back and forth. I don't know how. I love my mom, great mom. I don't know how she did not see the smoke coming from the brown belt. But I'm like running back and forth, and finally, I'm like, I can't run fast enough. I can't get enough water. I've got to get this out. And so, yes, I did what any logical six-year-old would do. I jumped into the fire and started jumping up and down on it. And it worked. I stamped it all out. The only problem was is that I, it was so hot, the bottom of my shoes melted. So, you know, when you go in the house and you're trying to cover what you just did, and you smell like smoke, and the bottom of your shoes are melted, you just can't lie on that one. But I re remember that because I thought, oh, I can look at this match. It's just one match. It doesn't really matter. And then when the match hit the fuel, game over. And when it comes to division, it comes with us living in a fence. It's the same thing. It's a cancer that grows. It's a fire that spreads. And it's a big deal. That's why Paul's calling out two people by name to say, listen, you need to listen to what I'm saying because this is an issue in your life. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to become an issue for everyone around you because it'll spread. Second thing. Going on in verse 2, which, by the way, Paul picks all these very specific phrases that he uses uh, to highlight things to these two women to get along. The second thing of dealing with division is you, you and I need to find a way to be on the same page. Now, here's, here's something. Paul says he, he treats them, he pleads with them, he urges them, what, to agree. To agree. Now, here, let me qualify this because this is one of the things I've watched people do. Have you ever heard the phrase, we agree to disagree? That works when you're having a debate about some issue or you're talking about some kind of information or you have a different perspective or opinion on something. That's fine. It doesn't apply to relationships. It doesn't. You can't be at odds with somebody and say, hey, we just agree to disagree. No, because there's malice in your heart. There's hatred towards that other person that's unresolved. So what Paul's saying, th the word agree literally means same page, to be in sync with each other, to agree, to have the same mind, is what he's saying. And so when Christians who are at odds with each other say, oh, we just agree to disagree, and we part ways, no, 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 no. Because even when Paul and Barnabas and Acts uh, actually parted ways, that turned out to be a good thing by God's grace. But it was not a good thing. There was a sharp dispute between the two of them, and it separated them, but God used their insanity to actually restore somebody in the process. But if you, and I think about that, that for a moment, that that finding the same page, and why is that important? Because one of the things that happens when you are in a disagreement or an offense with somebody, you can't find your way back until you realize that maybe there's something outside of you that needs to be your focal point and not each other. Something that becomes your common enemy that unites you and you find yourself on the same page. So you no longer treat each other like enemies, you treat what something else is like an enemy. So this is what's actually been transpiring over the last couple months in the world, and this is what's amazing. Take a look at this picture. Anybody seen this? I want you just to look at that for a moment. That is the leaders of North and South Korea shaking hands in the DMZ as they move towards peace. Just let that settle in. Six months ago, nobody would have ever thought that was even possible. Now I know there's skepticism like, ah, is the North really for real? Are they just playing games? We'll see. But I'll tell you, this is huge. What brought this upon? There's a lot of things, that, but one of the main contributing factors that both these leaders said of why they've come together is because they have realized, and this is coming from the North as well, they have realized the destructive force of nuclear weapons. And both of them said this, the reason that we're coming together, one of the primary reasons, is to have a nuclear-free 
Korean Peninsula. Because there's something worse than their hatred for each other. That's the destruction of their entire nations. And it's brought them together. So how in the world can two enemies come in unity? Because they found a common enemy that is worse than each other. It's something outside themselves. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, you two, Yuri and Seneca, you got to come to the same mind and be on the same page that there's something outside of you that is worse than the offense that you have with each other. And you and I have to be reminded of that because so many times we make people the enemy when there's a greater enemy outside of us that we need to focus on. Which leads to the third thing, going on in verse 2. Dealing with division also means that you and I need to take it before the Lord. This is the one that we do not like. Paul picks all these phrases. So he goes on in verse 2 and he says this. He says, you guys need to agree in the Lord. Oh, man, that hurts. Why does it hurt? Because it's really easy to give people 10 reasons why you hate somebody else and leave Jesus out of it. Right? Because I know this. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people where they will come to me. And they, in their humanity, they will tell me why this person is wrong and why they're evil and why, it's, why I should be offended. I have the right to be angry at them. And never once do they ever mention, you know, but I've really prayed intently about this. And I think that God wants me to reconcile. I don't hear that. I just hear all the reasons why they're broken. Why They never bring Jesus into the equation. Why? Because God has a different perspective on our disagreements than we do. He has a different perspective that sometimes we want to tune out because we don't want to bring Jesus into this. Why? Because he's going to mess it up. He's going to make me face that person. He's going to make me reconcile. He's going to make me deal with what I've done. He's going to make me have to extend forgiveness. And I don't want to do that. I want to remain mad. I want to be offended. I want to have a reason to dislike that person. But what happens when you welcome Jesus into it? What happens when you learn to agree in the Lord and you take it before the Lord what does Jesus have to say? What does the Bible have to say to us about our relationships and offense and division? So let me read through just a few passages. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, the very words of Jesus. He says this, This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend, make things right. Then and only then come back and work out things with God. Just think about this little settlement for a moment. What if we actually applied that? What if during worship today and during offering, you came to offer your gift of praise to God and God says, you know what? You're at odds with this person. And you said, you know what? You're right. And Jesus in Matthew 5, you told me I got to go make it right. And you just walked right out. Would I be preaching to a half empty room? Or maybe I'd be preaching to a completely empty room because we realized, oh man, before I can go this way, I have to go this way. That's what Jesus is talking about. You're like, well, no, it's just between me and God. Never just between you and God. Never. If it has to do with an offense in a relationship. Look at going on. Look what Paul writes. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, ha if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must forgive. Do you hear that? You guys are just like first service. It gets really quiet during this point. <laughs> Forgiveness is not optional. It's required. As Jesus has forgiven you, so you must forgive other people. But Pastor John, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the deep violation. No, I don't know that. 
But I do know in my life, it's probably true in your life, if Jesus in one moment showed me all the sins of my lifetime and says, by the way, I've forgiven that mound, that Mount Everest of your sin, the least you can do is forgive the hill that the person has accumulated against you in their sin. It's a different perspective. <clears throat> and Paul goes on similarly in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There it is. It keeps coming throughout scripture. You have to forgive. Why? Because you've been forgiven. Because you've been forgiven all of your sin. As a pastor of the things that I walk through with people in their lives, being in offense and broken relationships is probably top three of people coming to me and there's, there, there's woundedness, there's brokenness, there's offense, there's anger, there's hatred, there's, there's all these things that come in and it's because there's unresolved relationships in their life. And it doesn't just affect them and the other person, it affects all of who they are. And because of that, I don't know if I've ever done it on a Sunday morning, but I'm gonna put this, this slide up. Uh, this is, is one of the, the best books that I have found on offense in a relationship. It's called The Bait of Satan by John Bevere because personal offense, broken relationships, is the bait of Satan. It's the, it's the thing he lures you in and he tells you you have the right to be offended, you have the right to be angry because that person's wrong and you're right and you and I bite it. And then he just reels us in. But in this book, he does a great job of kind of dismantling that kind of thinking from the scriptures so that you and I understand that when we live in personal offense, it isn't just between us and the other person. Guess who's been invited to the party? The devil himself, because that's how he wedges in. In fact, the greatest issue for us is not the enemy outside, it's the enemy inside. It's the inside job that the enemy pulls on the church. That's why Paul talks so much about unity and one another throughout his writings. Why? Because the enemy doesn't work from the outside. He comes inside when we open the door, a back door to him through our personal offense. And this is, as we mentioned, the first point today. This is a huge deal. It's a big deal for the church. <clears throat> Hopefully for our church, it's not as big of a deal as it used to be. But, but one of the things that, that has happened in our church, and it's happened in every church that I've pastored, because I realize that I've watched this and I've observed this, that what destroys the church faster than anything else is when we live in broken relationships with each other. I mean, by far, that's the worst thing that can happen to a church. That's what happens with church splits. That's where those things come from. So I'm going to reiterate something that maybe you've heard me talk about. If you've gone through a line, you've heard this, but I'll, I'll say it again. And some of you who have heard it, it's going to sound familiar. Those of you not, you're probably going to be, okay, wow, that's pretty hardcore, but if we're going to live in healthy relationships, we have to do this. We have a gossip poly policy. It's a zero-tolerance gossip policy because gossip is living in personal offense with somebody else and then passing that offense to somebody else. So here's the way we function with gossip. If somebody comes to you and they, and you can tell we're pretty smart right away in conversation that they have an issue with somebody else. They've been offended, they've been hurt, whatever it is. Your responsibility is this. Hey, it sounds like you are offended by that person. Something happened. I don't know all the details. I don't need to know all the details, but I know one thing for sure. God wants you to be in a right relationship. And so I'm going to encourage you to go and to work towards making your relationship right with that person. But to make sure that you do that, I'm going to give you one week. And at the end of the week, I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to ask you, hey, have you connected with that person and worked towards some kind of reconciliation relationship? And if you answer no, then I will go to that person on your behalf and tell them you have an offense with them so that you are forced to deal with it. 
every time we've applied that gospel to policy, guess what happens? Is gossip disappears. And I have people, and I know that we, we love to spiritualize gossip. You know how we do as Christians? I need you to pray with me. I need you to process. No, those are spiritual terms for gossip is what it is. Because the person you're going to go talk to, to pray with or to process with, is not an answer to the problem. In fact, what you're going to do is you're going to cause them to get the poison and the cancer in your soul towards the other person. But you know what happens is when you take that policy seriously, all the people, and I used to have people come to me and tell me, well, you know, I'm just very empathetic. I just feel the pain that people go through. So they just come to me. I don't know why they come to me. I know why, because you're a gossip. That's why. The moment you do that, they stop coming to you. You know what they realize? They go, oh, I can't go to that person because they're going to force me to do what the Bible says and live in right relationship. When that happens, guess what? The church is healthier and stronger, and we actually can fulfill the mission of Jesus in the world because we're not fighting each other. We're fighting the battle out there, not the battle in here. So you and I have to understand the importance of this. Leading on to the fourth thing, going on to verse 3. Ask for help from others. Bring others into the mix. So Paul says in verse 3, yes, I ask you also, also true companion. Help these women. We don't know who the companion is that Paul's calling out. But he's calling in a third party and saying, hey, listen, help these women and figure out what's going on so that they can find peace in their relationship. Because all of us know there are times where you have tried to make relationships right. And it just isn't happening. And you're at an impasse and you can't get on the same page and you've tried. That's when through relationship you bring in somebody who's kind of that objective third party that you both respect and say, hey, can you sit down with us and help us figure this one out? Because this is important for us to get along. Now, let me underscore one of the other reasons why this is so important. Do you know that one of the most specific characteristics that Jesus states about what will be a witness to the world is if my disciples will do what? Love one another. That will speak volumes to the world that says, wow, those are people that used to be at odds. Those are people that are different. Those are people that had challenges. And somehow under the grace of God and who Jesus is, they've come together and they've learned to get along. See, because, because following Jesus in the church is the only context where we champion enemies becoming friends. That's what it's supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to look like. Now, there's a group of people uh, who I admire deeply who really strive to do this, to bring somebody else in. So there was a season up in, in, our, in our church up in Newburgh where there was, a, there was a town about five miles away from us, and it just so happened that of their six city council members, four of them went to our church, all of them believers. And so one day, some of them came to me and they said, listen, we have a problem. I said, okay, well, I'm not into politics. I'm not going to help you city council folks. But I said, no, 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 we have an issue. I said, what's the issue? He said, the four of us who go to the church, we're all believers, but there's a problem. Every come to a time we come to a city council meeting and we're in the city, we, we're at odds with each other. There's issues we can't get on the same page and we're struggling and it's becoming very personal. And, and we know that, that people in the city know that we're believers and they know we go to this church. And because of that, we don't want to be people that cause, cause division and cause a problem for the community because they know we're Christians. So they said, pastor, would you mediate for us? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, isn't there a wise judge or an attorney that specializes? They're like, no, you're our pastor, and we all trust you. I'm like, oh, great. So one evening, they all came to the church, and we sat in a room together, and so the city council members and their spouses, and so we talked for three hours. 
volume got hot at some times. There were tears, and it was difficult. Some deep stuff that they were dealing with. And I wish I could say, oh, we, you know, after three hours, we just wrapped it up in a beautiful bow and sent them on their way, and it was great. No, there were still some kind of lingering issues, but we had moved forward to a point where they now could actually fig figure out how to function together, at least do that. But what I loved about this was that they valued the testimony of who Jesus is more than their position on the city council and being at odds with a fellow brother or sister. See, that's what it means. It's like there's something bigger than my disagreement and being at odds that I have to consider in the way I relate to the people. And if I can't figure out how to get on the same page, then I'm going to ask somebody else to help us to get on the same page. That's what Paul's talking about. He's asking a third party to come in, which leads to the fifth thing. Dealing with division also means that you have to focus on what is important. Paul goes on and he says, We have labored side by side with me, we have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. What is Paul saying? He's saying, Yodi and Syntyche have done what? They've been partners in the gospel. They've been part of the mission of Jesus with Paul. Something very significant. And Paul reminds them of this because he says, You guys can't get along right now, but remember, we were all on the same team at one time. We were all doing the most important thing, the bigger thing, not the petty issues that you're dealing with, but something much bigger than yourselves. Remember that. He's saying, remember, there's something more important than your disagreement that always has to take effect on the way that we relate to each other. We can't always live at odds. Listen to what James says about this in James 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, where do you think all these appalling uh, wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourself. That's where it comes from. It comes from inside of us. What if we're fighting the wrong battle? What if, what if maybe there's been years that I've been at odds with people and it's just become a part of who you are, it becomes a part of your life and everybody around you knows who your enemy is because you avoid them and you tell people about it and that's become your life and you've fought that battle and you put so much anxiety and energy and effort into fighting that battle that you've actually began to fight the wrong battle. You've wasted your life in offense and realized there's a bigger purpose that is going on that you need to focus on. That's what's so important for the church because we can fight all over all kind of stuff in the church. I mean, it's amazing what, what people will fight. Now, our church is relatively calm, but I have heard in other churches things like people fighting over the color of the carpet. Do you notice there is no carpet that your, your feet are on right now? No argument. We're going concrete, right? Oh, I don't like the color of the concrete. We should change the color of the concrete. I don't like the paint on the walls. I don't like the service times. I don't like the worship music. And we'll argue over these things that have nothing to do with the bigger picture of what? The gospel, the mission of Jesus, people, because we become petty. So Paul's saying, hey, remember, your partners, you're, you're arm in arm as we go after the big thing, the big issue, the most important thing is not your disagreement, even though it may be severe and may be painful and, you, and all the things that we do to each other in offense. But Paul's saying there's something bigger that always has to come into the way that we think through things. How much time and energy have you and I spent fighting the wrong battle? I was just reflecting this week and I wrote down What's really important? When it comes to us as believers, if you follow Jesus and being a part of the church, what's important? What are some things to remember in regards to this? And I wrote this down, that the battle is for the world. It's the mission of Jesus in the world. There should never be a battle in the church. The battle is out there. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the souls of people. 
Can you imagine if we spent all of our time arguing with each other and being at odds with each other while the world dies and leads, and leads a life that goes into destruction and we were too concerned about being offended with other people around us and we stand before Jesus someday? I don't want to be that person that I wasted all my time arguing with other people. Here's another thing I wrote down that's important to remember. Being offended is not a good reason to leave a church. Hear me. Now, there's a million reasons to leave churches. I know some of them could be legitimate, depending on the context, but very few of them are. And this is one of the biggest ones that's used. And people will come even to Antioch, and I'll pick it up pretty quickly if they've, they've left their church in not good, in a good context with their former leadership. And usually if I continue to hear that, I will go back and say, hey, have you sat down with your former pastor or leader and, ch- and moved to try to reconcile? It doesn't mean that you have to go back to the church unless God calls you there, but you can't leave a debris field behind you of offense and think that you'd come to another church and it's all just going to disappear. Because it's destructive for you, it's destructive for that church, and one other thing it will become, and I will not let it become, is destructive to Antioch. Because I have seen it happen. If you leave a place offended and never resolve it, guess what? It's a matter of time before it happens here. Because it's a pattern. It's a pattern. I have never seen the person who's been in a church for 20 years and then is offended and leaves, and somehow it never repeats itself. But I have seen the person who's been in a church for a year or two or three, and that happens five times over in their life, and they just keep going through and going through and going through. Why? Because somebody hurt them. Somebody offended them, so they went somewhere else thinking the grass would be greener. But Jesus says, you can't do that because you're causing, you're causing harm for everybody involved. And then this, this is the last thing I wrote down. When we stand before Jesus someday, playing the victim and blaming others will not be an excuse for not fulfilling the mission of Jesus in the world. It won't be. When you are so consumed with your anxiety and your, your pain and your offense at other people and you lost track of the most important thing in life and then you stand before Jesus someday and you're like, well, I was victimized. I was offended. Jesus, don't you know what they did? Of course he knows what they did. Do you know what they did to him? Do you know what they did to him on our behalf? Was Jesus ever offended? No, actually the people he was offended at was church people. Go figure that one. But he never lived in personal offense and he was never offended by our sin. Why? Because he took our sin on himself. Can you imagine what that would be like if you fought the wrong battle your entire life? A battle you won't win in this life unless you work towards reconciliation and peace in your relationships. So with that understanding, final thing is this, number six. Division, if you're going to deal with it, you have to embrace the same grace. Just so you know, Paul's not playing fair here because his last phrase in verse three says this, whose names are in the book of life. He's, he's saying the book of life is the book that records all those who have given their life to Jesus, have trusted in his grace on the cross, and have followed him. Their, our names are written so that when the book is opened at the end of all things, that that is the, the way that says now you enter into uh, paradise with Jesus and, and forever. We get to go to heaven. So, that's, so he's pulling out the ultimate thing is, remember you two who can't get along, your names, and maybe who knows, maybe Yodia and Syntyche are written right next to each other. In the book of life. Paul's saying, remember, you both trusted in the grace of God and Jesus. Remember that you confessed your sin and you chose to follow Jesus. Remember that your names are written in the book of life. Remember those things. So much more important than what? Your disagreement, your division. What's most important 
It's the same grace they live under. Remember, we have to be on the same team. Now, I want to, I want to hear me on this one. I want to read this passage of scripture because when we read the Bible, sometimes we have a tendency to either downplay the application or say it applies to somebody else. But I'm going to read a couple of verses that Jesus said, and I want you to, well, I'm going to think about a couple things. If Jesus is serious in what he's saying, how do we actually apply this? Okay, listen, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We love to end right there, right? Okay, but what does it say in verse 15? But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So let's, let's carry this out. Two points, if we're going to walk this verse out to its extremes, okay? Let's say, and this is, you can make a really strong argument from what Jesus is saying in this context. Let's say this is what Jesus is saying. If you are unforgiven, your sin is still on you. And if your sin is still on you, do you have access to heaven? Uh-uh. She's saying, if, if you're not going to forgive other people, then I'm not going to forgive you. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. If I'm not forgiven, then my sin is still on me, and that means I am separated from God from earth. So if we play, play this out, Jesus actually could be saying, if you live in offense with somebody else and refuse to extend forgiveness to them, you are losing more than that relationship. You are losing the very reward that you think you're going to get. Don't get mad at me. Let's just look at the words of Jesus, okay? That's scary, isn't it? So that means that someday you could stand before Jesus and you could say, here I am. And you go, yeah, you remember the relationship that I kept prodding you by my spirit to reconcile in, to try to work towards forgiving. Remember that? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, no. Now I'm in, no, 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 no. I told you that if you don't forgive others, I won't, for, my father won't forgive you. So therefore, since you haven't forgiven that person, I won't forgive you. Whew. I hope that that's not what he's saying. But you know what? It could be the very thing he's saying. I don't want to test that one. I want to find out. I just want to say, okay, let's go to the other side. Let's go, well, ah, Jesus couldn't really be saying that. Come on. We're all under grace, right? I've heard that all so many times. It means I want to justify my sin. We're under grace, right? So let's just say, okay, he's not saying that. Let's say that even, even if, you know, because God's grace is so sovereign over all of us that you're going to get in anyway, even if you don't forget other people. But here's the flip side of that. You're standing before Jesus, you're walking into heaven, you're like, oh, this is wonderful. You open your eyes, and there they are, your enemy. <laughs> and in your mind, you're thinking, I was convinced they were going to hell, <laughs> and they're here, right? And you look at them and say, how did you get here? And they look at you and say, how did you get here? The same way you got here, right? So then for eternity, what, you, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to figure out how to reconcile that relationship. Because in heaven, there is no broken relationships. So why wait? Why test that you could lose out on reward because you won't forgive? And why even risk that you're going to spend eternity with the miserable person that you could have resolved with in this life and you could have entered into the kingdom with wholeness and peace and right relationships? That's what God desires for us. God desires for us to live in that reality, to live in right relationships. And this is what I want to close with. Because this, ultimately, you need to hear this. This is not cliche. This is what I really believe. Your offense and broken relationships really doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with Jesus. This has to do with Jesus. 
Now, we could say cliche-wise, everything has to do with Jesus, which is true. But your relationships have to do with Jesus, and this is what I mean by that. The whole concept of the way that we relate to God is through relationship. It's through a connection. And depending on how long you've been at Antioch, you notice that when you walk out of the lobby, there's this wall that confronts you. And on that wall, it says, with, like, for. With Jesus, like Jesus, for Jesus. That is the mission of Antioch Church. What do those things mean? The word with is a simple way of defining the word reconciliation. That that Jesus, knowing that we were separated from God because of our sin, gave his life on the cross and rose from the dead to what? Reconcile us, remove our sin, bring us back into what? Relationship with God. And we're like, yes, I applaud that. But then there's the second thing, like. 1 John chapter 2, John actually says this, if that we are in him, in Jesus, then we must, depending on the, the, the translation, it either says walk or live as Jesus lived. So he's not only the sacrifice to reconcile us, he's the demonstration of what we are supposed to do if Jesus was willing to forgive the Mount Everest of our sin so that we could be reconciled to God, then we must, like Jesus, be willing to sacrifice to forgive the molehill of sin from somebody else in our lives. Jesus is the model. So if we are with him, we're reconciled back to God, but we're like him, so we forgive as Jesus forgave us. Because the ultimate thing, the last one, it's not about us. It is for Jesus. It's about his glory. It's about his power. It's about his kingdom. It's about his testimony in the world. When the world looks at the church, and of any time in my lifetime, and probably in human history in our country, the church needs to be unified and in relationship and right with each other because the world is dying, is dying to be in right relationships but doesn't know how to do it. So as far as apart as we can get, we avoid people at all costs. And what if we came together in the church? What if you stopped managing your offensive relationships and shot to reconcile them? I mean, there are people, and I hopefully this isn't, isn't true, but there used to be people in our church that literally, they, they couldn't stand other people who were a part of the church, and so they would figure out what service that person would come to, and they'd go to the other one. But then when they showed up and that person kept showing up to the same service, you know what they do? They sit on the furthest part of the sanctuary away from that person. So we know that all the people that sit in the side sections are the people who are dealing with offense with the other side of the room, right? <laughs> we all find unity in the middle, right, folks, in the middle? We're all, I'm just kidding. Those of you are like, I don't know if I'm sitting here next week. But what does that say? That speaks volumes to people around us that we don't really take Jesus serious. And what does that mean that it looks like to Jesus, that his sacrifice wasn't enough to make my relationships right with other people? But what if we realize this isn't about me and me getting along with that person is about other people. It's about my friends, my family, my neighbors who don't know Jesus. And they need to see somebody who's willing to sacrifice and forgive for the sake of unity and relationships so that the world can say there is an answer to our division. It's through Jesus and it comes in community in the church. So would you close your eyes as we, we conclude? I want you to, here's a part of, of how to walk this out. Every time we talk about relationships and, and dealing with offenses and dif difficult things to deal with relationally, I know, and I know that God does this with me and he's done, done it in so many other people's lives, that already there's a person that keeps popping into your head. And that's not an accident. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 
He's reminding you of a, a relationship that's been fractured that needs to be addressed. And so I'm going to encourage you as that, that person, or maybe it's more than one person has come to your mind, that I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to pray that God would give us the courage, because it takes courage, to be the one. In fact, if, what did Jesus say? When you come to offer your gift, he says, you go to make it right. So it means he says to us, you're to be the reconciler. You're to be the initiator. You're not to be the one that waits for the other person. You're the one that should go first. I'm going to pray that Jesus would give us the courage to be the one that goes first to try to work towards reconciliation. But let me, as I before I pray, let me qualify something that's really important. I know that there are times that maybe you have strived to live in right relationship with other people. You've gone to them, you've tried to work it out. Maybe you've pulled in a mediator and you've tried to get on the same page and it just, it hasn't worked. And you're like, God, what am I supposed to do? I don't want to have broken relationships. And this is, Paul gives this admonition in Romans. He says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. So there may be in an extreme circumstance where you've tried everything, but what God's requirement is of you is that you would be at peace and you would have done everything you can to make that relationship right because then the person who doesn't want to be reconciled, now their responsibility is before the Lord now. That now you are the one that can walk in peace because you've done everything. But the ultimate goal, the desire of Jesus is reconciliation, is when enemies become friends. So Jesus, we pray for your supernatural courage this week that those that you want us to live in right relationship with, Lord, those that we would maybe even classify as enemies, Lord, you want us to eventually become friends. And because of that, Lord, I pray that you would give us, by your spirit, you would remind us, you would prod us, you would push us, you would encourage us, you would challenge us so that we would be the ones that would initiate reconciliation so that couple verses that we read today that we learned from that the, the testimony of these two women that Lord I trust by your grace they listened to the advice of Paul and found relationship again that Lord when we go to heaven someday we can say to both of those women thank you for allowing yourself to be called out in scripture so that we could learn how to live in right relationships with each other so Jesus give us the strength this week to follow you and become people who would live in reconciled relationships in your name amen